0: We've got questions on dragons, World Wars One and Two, formal wear, and what are Charles' favorite villains in history? Welcome to another episode of Off the Menu, now being broadcast and podcast on the Crusade Channel. Talk radio the way it should be at crusadechannel.com. I'm Vincent Franchini from Tumblr House, here with a peripatetic Charles Coulomb.
1: Peripatetic? You mean like I travel?
0: Oh yeah, awful lot, yeah.
1: I travel a lot? I'd say so. You're a traveler of the world. Move and groove? Yeah. What about, the, what about the idea that I've spent my entire life from birth till death in uh, Arcadia and Monrovia? What about that possibility? Have you ever considered it?
0: That's not true, though. That would be a lie.
1: Well, I know it's not true, but does that mean that it's a, that it's a lie? Maybe it's it's an aspiration. Maybe it's a hope.
0: <laughs> okay. <whoa. laughs>
1: Maybe it's a dream. I mean, imagine, imagine that your entire life was circumscribed by living in Arcadia and Monrovia, California, with perhaps the odd weekend jaunt to Sierra Madre just for, you know, A milkshake at Mother Boo's and brunch at um, uh, the only place in town.
0: I was thinking of that. I mean, as I was, because I was had like a mountaintop experience where you're looking down, and I was like sort of reflecting on my dad, and you know, for the half, you know, the latter half of his life, that was his situation. It was kind of a trip. Uh
1: well, this is true, but – well, that's not entirely true, though. He used to take your mother to the uh, the trails in Duarte.
0: I no, I mean he, he went on business trips, too, actually, to Japan, Saudi Arabia, um, stuff like that, you know, dealing with other peoples of different
1: – Outsiders.
0: That's actually that's actually true, too. I'm not – Yeah, I know. I'm, not, I know. <laughs> I'm actually not – I know it's true. <laughs> I, uh,
1: but, you know, he was never really impressed by those places. <laughs> You know,
0: no, he wasn't. He wasn't.
1: He just was was never uh, never really never really impressed. You know, I had a sudden thought to look and see if there were any spires left. You remember spires?
0: Yeah, I do. On Huntington, it's kind of like akin to Conrad's. We used to go to spires a lot. My grandma loved spires.
1: Well, indeed, Uh, and there were a lot of them, but you know. It's gone, but I'm looking here. They still have them in Carson, Lawndale, Long Beach, Ontario. Two of them in Torrance, so they're very special. And Tustin. I didn't
0: even know. That's amazing because you just touched this hugely nostalgic part of my childhood. And I didn't even know that that restaurant was a thing to you. Because it, oh, yeah. it was a continuous thing for me. Wow.
1: Well, you know, since you mentioned, I'm going to make, I'm going to say, I'm looking at their menu. I'm going to say a few words. Tell me if this gets you excited. Lumberjack breakfast. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, I'm looking for things. The Popeye omelet. <laughs> yes. Okay. Chicken strips dinner. That's no big deal. Uh...
0: I used to get that a lot as a kid, though. Don't.
1: What, the chicken strips dinner? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, ribeye steak dinner?
0: Mm. Oh, yeah.
1: Fettuccine Alfredo with chicken? Absolutely. Chicken parmesan. Mm. Did you get sandwiches there?
0: <sighs> I think my mom did. I did mm. not. Soups. Yeah, well, the dinner, I thought, came with soups all the time.
1: Well, indeed. And they have vegetable beef, Is they always had. And then Monday was potato leek, Tuesday beef barley, Wednesday navy bean, Thursday broccoli cheese, Friday clam chowder. That's in Ontario. I think that's the closest one to where, uh, where we are. So you know what? Whenever I'm back home, whatever that may be, we should make a, a field trip to Aspire's. That'd be amazing. We should aspire to it. Yeah. We should aspire. It aspires.
0: Well, you know what's weird, too? I guess that stuck with me is it's got this... I don't know if it, they do that as a as a rule, but it had this circular design.
1: Yes. that's the, They all are, apparently.
0: Oh, oh. Okay. Tim
1: Feeney used to call it the round place when he was little. <laughs> so... Ladies and gentlemen, that's a, a touch of nostalgia for those of you from the beautiful San Gabriel Valley of Los Angeles County, state of California, United States of America, North America, the Western Hemisphere, planet Earth. <laughs> wow. All right, Charles, have but you have more
0: travel information.
1: I do have more travel information. I do indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen and ladies, gather around. My spring break begins on the Annunciation, March 25th, and lasts until April 16th. Three glorious weeks. Now, guess what I'm going to do with those three glorious weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Am I going to Cancun to star in the real Cancun 2? No. Am I going to Fort Lauderdale to be in Where the Boys Are Too? No. Am I going to Palm Beach, uh, not Palm Beach, uh, the other joint, Palm Springs, California, to be arrested with a bunch of other drunken collegians? No. No, 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 no. Uh, Wonderful three weeks, of, uh, which will include Holy Week and Easter Week, will be spent and what I am dubbing the Three Kingdoms Tour. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, Ireland, England, and Scotland, the three kingdoms. So the Annunciation will see will see me uh, with a school chum, whom you know, Dan, uh, we will go to Ireland, March 25th to April 1st. We will then, that night or the morning of the next day, it is yet to be decided, we'll go to England, we'll be in England for about 10 days, maybe, April 2nd to 12th. And then up to Bonnie Scotland, 13th through the 16th, and then back here. Now, I am putting this to those of you in our family. If you dwell in any of those three kingdoms, and if you're keen on seeing me, eh, let us know before them. And if it's possible, we shall see if you can be seen, or if I can be seen, or if we can be seen. But wait, there's more. As you may have noticed, three weeks on the road would mean three weeks that you'll all be deprived of off the menu. But this catastrophe need not occur because although we would not be doing the show uh, on Easter or Holy Saturday, the week before, which would be roughly the night of the first or the second, uh, when we'll be uh, in Ireland or possibly England, depending. Um, And then, the night of the 15th, we'll be in Scotland, uh, April 15th. If anyone can host us, well, at least host me, uh, in terms of uh, your equipment. We can do my half of this show from your office, school room, or uh, rumpus room, or whatever you got your computer in. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, you may actually host half the show in your very own place. Now, I have to add, no weirdos, strange people, or folks with castle dungeons need apply. On the other hand, if you have a stately home you'd like to lend for the use of it, uh, we're very, very happy to oblige, especially if you've got a full staff, a la Downton Abbey. Um. Entertain us royally, and we'll be happy you and Dan yeah um,
0: uh, something just occurred to me so are you able to bring you know this nice headset that I that I bought for you this very expensive headset um, or will that fit in the luggage question mark?
1: It should be able to so, I don't see why not
0: okay that's great because then that because so then the whoever hosts you um will not require like
1: substantial um
0: audio equipment.
1: All all you need no. is a webcam. So yeah, a webcam and a computer. And I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it will speak for the honor of all three kingdoms. And I'll tell you something else. You'll notice that on tonight's podcast, I'm wearing my Royal Stewart Society tie and my lapel pin is the white rose to show my love and loyalty to the House of Stuart and my love of all three kingdoms. So Ireland forever, old England and always, Scotland forever. That's right. And yeah, Wales too, the principality, (laughs) the duchy of Cornwall, and the Lordship of Man, and the bailiwicks of Jersey and Guernsey, and the city of Burke upon Tweed. The whole the whole realm <laughs> every inch of it, plus the dependencies. And you know what else? Gibraltar and, and St Helena and Bermuda and Ascension Island and Pitcairn Island and Canada and Australia and New Zealand and the Bahamas and the Turks and Caicos and the Caymans and Belize and Jamaica, and um, Papua, New Guinea and the Solomon Islands and Tuvalu, um, St. Vincent, Grenada. St. Lucia, Antigua and Barbuda, Montserrat, uh, St. Christopher, Naives. I think we got all the Commonwealth realms named. Barbados, you become a banana republic thanks to becoming a one-party state. You get squat. Same for the other republics in the Commonwealth. You <laughs> had your chance. Oh.
0: Well, that's what you get.
1: Yeah. you You, uh, you want to become a dump? You become a dump? Yeah self will dumpiness. You know what the real key revelation was and that nobody seemed to pick up on it? What? The partition of India in 1947. Millions of people killed. And this doesn't seem to be a problem. Bumps on the road to paradise, I guess. But I guess it didn't matter because they weren't whites. So, you know.
0: Hmm.
1: That's one of the the uh, wonderful things about all the genocides and murders in the post colonial world. As long as whites aren't involved, nobody cares.
0: I- I've never even heard about what you've just said before.
1: Well, no. Why would you? It's not important. they are only dark people.
0: Is there is there a I term mean, for for the atrocities? Oh yeah, it's you...
1: called uh, liberal racism. That's what. That's the term. I mean, I remember when I was a kid in the 60s and 70s, uh, they'd be going on and on and on about apartheid in uh, South Africa and white minority rule in Rhodesia. Uh, But somehow the genocides in Rwanda and Burundi and Uganda and other places, that was okay. That wasn't a problem. You know, they murder each other, that's fine. That's okay.
0: It's interesting. I, You know, I guess it's just, it's like uh, racism creates a stronger emotional trigger than actual genocide.
1: Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Presumed racism. Presumed perceived racism. racism. Yeah. Is yeah. much, well, yeah, because see, the thing is, you can feel good about yourself. Remember, when people are committing genocide, they don't give a damn what you think. They really don't. You could protest racism, and you could make the people who are supposed to be doing it feel bad. But I guarantee you, no practitioner of genocide cares about whether the city council of Santa Cruz, California, condemns them. They really could care less. I mean, it's like, look, the countries where there's still slavery today, like Mauritania, do you really think today's slave owners care about what Black Lives Matter or Antifa think? I have no doubt that both practitioners of genocide and the current slaveholders would say, come and make me. Come on. Come on, little man. Come here to the godforsaken hole I'm in and throw your weight around and see if you make it out alive. Nobody with half a brain is going to do that. Whereas you feel good about yourself and and you signal your virtue to others when you jump up and down about people who either will care or aren't in a position to say anything. Now, I don't want to give the impression that hypocrisy is part and parcel of uh, media, government, and academia. I don't want to give that impression. Because, you know, they do it so well themselves, if you know anything about them, that they don't need my help.
0: Okay. What?
1: Yeah, no, we get it. I'm affirming. Always, always. that's what nobody really understands about me. I'm from you know, I had promised myself that I would give up snarkiness for Lent, but then I realized I'm never snarky. <laughs> I'm just an accepting and celebrative of people's lifestyle choices. And if someone decides to be what another less enlightened age would have called hypocritical, I celebrate that.
0: That's great. That's great. What if they don't identify as hypocritical, though?
1: Oh, they don't need to. I accept them as whatever they consider themselves.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: If they think they're virtuing, then I'm sure they must be.
0: <laughs> Wait. They're virtuing.
1: Okay. They're virtuing.
0: Yeah, that, this is a continuation of the pre-show where n- n- nouns turn to verbs. Um... And
1: verbs turn to nouns. Yeah,
0: adulting, uh, coping—or no, well, cope.
1: Yeah, adulting is the biggest cope that those who need to virtue while real, par- really parasiting do.
0: <laughs> wow, Whew, That sentence was stacked. All right.
1: Um what you—you you think adulting isn't isn't just another cope? Is that what you're saying? <laughs>
0: I don't even. I don't even know is what cringe. you're saying.
1: You're that kind is of... just cringe. I thought you were based and red pilled, and instead you're going cringe on me.
0: Uh, my, actually, the Franchini family have a, a special noun for kind of like the, like a cringe. We 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 call it a toe curler. That's a toe curler where it's like it's curl. so bad where it makes your toes curl in in, in your now physical you a, reaction
1: uh, to it. Yeah, you, you used to say bump offing.
0: Yeah, bump offing?
1: Yeah. Yeah, as in uh yeah, it needs to be bumped off.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But we don't we don't say that anymore, do we?
0: No. No.
1: I'm glad it it, it makes you feel safer.
0: Yeah. That's good. Well, no, you're safe. I mean, you're, you know, you're not Italian, but you know, you're.
1: I'm still safe. Well, safe. you know, the the I'll never forget when uh, you know your your great uncle said to me, you know, kid, you're okay. You'll never be a made man, but you're okay. Yeah. That was yeah. a compliment. Yeah, you're a good fellow.
0: Yeah. All right. Are you ready for State of the Week? I are. What do we got? This week, we have Utah. Am I? Uh, no, Mita.
1: Oh, I see. Right. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> no, that, that seems... That's the right answer. No, uh. Mita. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we've got that settled. Well, to be honest with you, um, Utah, <sighs> I have been through Utah, and there's a lot to drive through. The great Salt Lake has always made me think of Mordor, the, the sad salt sea of a away off to the south, as was described in uh, Lord of the Rings. But the city itself is interesting, Salt Lake City. Uh, the the Catholic cathedral, the Madeleine, is beautiful. It is gorgeous. It's French Gothic, and they say that almost every Gentile in Salt Lake contributed to the building of it. So, yeah, I would definitely see the Madeleine. Uh, the Mormon Temple is interesting. Uh, you, us Gentiles can't go in, but there is a visitor center, which is worth seeing. Um, It's very strangely built. It has four towers. Uh, And I'm sure that the builders of it, who were mostly Yankees from the Northeast, a lot of them from New England, they built it to be impressive. And they succeeded. It's weird looking to my eyes, but it's very impressive. The Visitor's Center, you can learn all about Mormonism, or at least... The less bizarre parts of it, and there's also the tower, the uh, Mormon Tabernacle. And so it's from you guessed it, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. That is correct. That's where they operate out of. Uh, Beyond that, honestly, I mean, I, I really, I really. That's what I've seen. I've, I've, I've run around Temple Square. They have a, a, a state historical museum in Salt Lake and the Capitol building, of course, which is also worth seeing. But, I mean, you definitely when you're in Salt Lake City, you know that in that state, the Mormons are in charge. Hmm.
0: They're very nice people, admittedly. I mean, they're nice people oh. in the world.
1: They're extremely friendly. There's no doubt about it, but you do feel, at least I felt, very much an alien no. and very outside. It wasn't quite Stepford, but it was different. Interesting.
0: I perhaps didn't have as um, an intense of an experience. Um, I just stayed one day overnight. But um, ah. I stayed in Park City. Park City is really nice. A little resort town. Um, but um, also the net na- no shout out to the na- all the national parks, the beautiful national parks in Utah.
1: Oh well, yeah, there's Zion National Park and Kolob Canyon and so on, <laughs> uh, named after the planet. Now, one thing I just looked at uh, when I go to a, uh, whenever I go to a uh, a city that I don't know, I look up the oldest restaurant. In the place, mm. because usually those are, you know, they're very much the uh, place to go. So here are the three oldest restaurants in Salt Lake City. The one is the Idle Isle Cafe, Oh no, it's in Brigham City. So it's not in Salt Lake City, but it's nearby. Oldest continually operating restaurant in Utah. Now, let's look at the menu. I wonder if they have coffee on the menu. Uh, They call it a cafe, so you would think that they would have coffee. No! Oh, no, they do have coffee. All right, because Mormons aren't supposed to drink coffee. Just so you know. And then, Lambs. Lambs Grill Cafe. Now are they still going? Because they were founded in 1939, so they're not the oldest in Utah. But Lamb's Grill, Salt Lake City. Yeah, they're still very much with us on Main Street. Oh no, I lie. Closed down in 2017. Wait a minute. No, apparently since 1919. Uh, apparently they're still they've reopened. Okay, good. I will say that I'm very, very happy about that. I've never been there. But whenever a place like that closes, it's bad for any place. Even if you're not a Mormon in Salt Lake City. Hmm. Um. Well, maybe not. According to this, their their Facebook thing hasn't reopened. You know what? Anybody there in Salt Lake City, if you know what the story is with uh, Lamb's Grill, let us know. Mm. And then the other old one they they mention is in Logan, Utah, which... um, has the Bluebird restaurant. They're closed, but they're reopening. So the Bluebird is closed, but reopening. Uh, Lamb's Grill. All right. Well, I don't know if either of those are open, but apparently the idle aisle is still open. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. And if you know that part of the world, if you're from Utah, you know, Utah, then please let us know. I'm starting to get kind of hungry thinking about it.
0: Interesting. Yeah. No, I was I was wondering if you had so little to say about uh, salt uh, or about Utah, because it's. um... They have a lot of dry counties. But it looks like Salt Lake is, is not, but they have no. like eight or nine different counties are are dry counties.
1: Well yeah, because they're they're almost all, if not completely Mormon. Yeah. And the Mormons aren't allowed to drink alcohol in their in their faith.
0: Oh but really? I didn't know that.
1: No, you know. But Salt Lake City has a lot of Gentiles, as non Mormons are called. Uh... And they guzzle. A bunch of drunks. Kind of like me at the Knights of Columbus bar in Monrovia, where I've yet to go. I've never been there. Can you Mm -hmm. imagine? I got to take you.
0: Whenever I
1: get home again, apart from going out to Spires in beautiful Ontario, California, in memory of the one that used to grace beautiful Arcadia, um, maybe we can uh, force our grand knight to come with us. That's
0: Yeah, I'd love to. Um yeah, and we can have the sacrificial f- fish meal of penance in... <laughs>
1: not I'm not gonna be in Lent when I get there. So yeah, Do but, they do they serve other things normally or is it just, uh, usually well, just actually foods?
0: that council I, I, I don't mean to uh speak ill of them but um they do chicken dinners on Fridays that aren't let la- I don't like that
1: at all. I so I don't do that. But what do they do on what do they do? Or do they cook anything on other nights?
0: I mean no Fridays. I mean like every Friday they but they do chicken dinners. Um
1: Yeah, I realize, but they don't do anything on other nights. Like any, Thursday night chicken dinner or I don't know. Monday night steak or something.
0: I do not know. I w I don't think so, but I could be wrong. Um it's very, very active council, so maybe um I don't know.
1: Ah. We'll take that as red.
0: Pause for channel identification. Uh, off the menu is now being broadcast and podcast on the Crusade Channel. Talk radio the way it should be at crusadechannel.com. All right. Uh, no memes this week. We're going to go straight to
1: business. Oh, questions, questions.
0: All right. First question is from Michael, who says, howdy to both the wise and effervescent Charles and Francini." That's you and me. Yeah. I had just spent some time with family in Vietnam and also celebrated the Lunar New Year. And a peculiar thought came to mind about the imagery of dragons in the West versus East. The West, from our historical Catholic faith, characterizes, characterizes the dragon as a symbol for evil and satan while the east views the dragon as a symbol of luck and prosperity in thinking about baptizing the east how would you think to baptize the eastern conception of dragons if you believe they overlap in any real symbolic way as always thank you for all the great content over the years
1: Hmm. that's a good question and of course Had he been in the beautiful San Gabriel Valley of California, he would have been able to celebrate the Lunar New Year, you know, authentically instead of by imitation the way it's done in East Asia. Yes. You know, China, Korea, Vietnam, Japan, they they, they all imitate what's done in the San Gabriel Valley, in Koreatown and, and, and Alhambra, Monterey Park, Little Tokyo, Chinatown, etc. Yes, You knew that.
0: I knew that, Charles.
1: And the real Tet is in Little Saigon in Westminster, California. Right. Vietnam imitates Little Saigon.
0: All right. Do you have an answer? I just
1: need, I had to. I had to make that clear for everyone who might be tuning in. Uh, do I have an answer? The answer is, I really, you know, the the two conceptions are so very different. Because, of course, the dragon uh, in the West is so much a part of evil that even in the rite of exorcism, it refers to the demon uh, to the devil as the old dragon. Whereas in the Far East, the dragon is totally benevolent. Now, of course, some might say that that's a reflection of the old dictum from the Bible, the gods of the Gentiles are demons. Um I don't know. I don't know how you could baptize the uh, the dragon. I really don't. Say George slaying the dragon, Said Michael slaying the dragon.
0: Well, I mean, what
1: There's a third thing
0: which we haven't touched on. Um which I mean, we've taken Smog? We've taken questions on this before, but it's sort of the dragon, as it appears on heraldry in the United Kingdom, it's on the Welsh flag. It
1: is, but the Welsh flag it comes from a legend of the uh, this. Well, where the red the red dragon comes from in Welsh heraldry, it's not a, a, a nice source. Basically, the story goes that uh, Vortigern, the uh, king who, uh managed to usurp the rulership of Britain, Uh, Vortigern wanted to build a fortress where he'd be safe from the Saxons in a place called Anglesey, an island in Wales. And he tried, but every time they tried to build something, it would collapse, and there was sort of ongoing earthquakes. Well, Vortigern uh, heard from his soothsayer that if he could find a kid that was not born of a human mother and sacrificed him, that would be the end of the, uh, of the shaking and baking. So they found a kid who was born of a woman who claimed that uh, she had been impregnated by an incubus. So he had not been born of a man. And this child was named Merlin. So Vortigern had him ready to be sacrificed by the remaining Druids he had employed. Uh, although he was nominally Christian, when young Merlin up and spoke and said, if you don't sacrifice me, I will tell you what the problem really is and you could be free of it. So Vortigern said, okay, well, it's interesting that someone as young as you can speak at all, so tell me what you got to say. And Merlin, for yes, it was he, the future elderly wizard and guardian of Arthur, uh, said, beneath the area you're trying to build it wasn't angels. It was Aberfrost. Sorry, are um, two dragons, one white, one red, and they're constantly fighting. So dig long, dig far enough, let them out, and the, the ground will stop shaking. Well, they did just that, and the white dragon jumped up and was pursued by the red dragon, who then they vanished. But the red dragon ever since has been taken as the banner of Wales. Merlin then told Vortigern, well, there's good news and bad news. And Vortigern said, oh, okay. What's the good news? The dragons are gone. And if you had the time, you could build your fortress. Well, great. What's the bad news? bad news is you're not going to have the time because since you're a usurper, someone is coming to get rid of you. And that someone was called uh, Ambrosianus Aurelius, who was a Roman Briton. Vortigern was dispatched. Ambrosius Aurelianus, or whatever his name was, became king of the Britons. He in turn died after a fairly long reign, during which Merlin got a lot older all of a sudden. And he was replaced with his brother, Uther Pendragon. Who took the red that red dragon as his symbol to show that he was powerful like a dragon, stronger than his enemies. And Uther consulted Merlin on how to get a married chick he wanted badly. And Merlin told him how to do it. But he said, there's a price to be paid. And the price is when she gets pregnant, I want the kid. And so. He went to war. The, the woman's name was Egrain. Her husband was the Duke of Cornwall. Uther went to war with him. He uh, came out to meet him, and while the two armies were fighting, Merlin made Uther look like the Duke of Cornwall. He stuck to Tintagel Castle, and the Duchess thought that uh, that was her husband. So he had his way with her, and then the next day he was able to defeat the duke and kill him. And he took the duchess as his queen. But when the son was born, Merlin appeared and took him away to be raised by a foster father, Sir Ector. And what was the name of the baby? Arthur. Exactly. But but when Uther died, the land was torn by war. It seemed that the land would be torn by war or saved by a miracle alone. When a miracle occurred in London town, the sword and the stone. And engraved on that sword in letters of gold were the words, Whoever draw, whosoever draweth the sword from this stone is rightwise born king of England. But no one could draw, draw it from the stone. And so it seemed that the miracle had not worked. What do you think of that?
0: That was really interesting. I never knew about the dragon, the dragon aspect of that.
1: Now you know. See, a legend is sung. Of when England was young and knights were brave and bold. The good king had died, and no one could decide who was rightful heir to the throne.
0: You are really getting hyped up for your trip, huh?
1: Think so. So You know it's worse than you think, because the weekend <laughs> after I get back I have to go back to England. <laughs> I it's true. I have to give a lecture um, at the University of Nottingham.
0: Great. So wait, So let, let's take it back to the question, right? So what are the challenges here in terms of baptizing
1: the Eastern con- uh, idea? Well, the problem with baptizing it is the dragon has always been in the West a symbol of the devil and a symbol of evil. And it's really hard to get around. It's hard to baptize. I mean, you know how how do we make Medusa into a beautiful young maiden? <laughs> it's hard. I see. And see, the dragon is the symbol of good luck.
0: I mean, kind of more the, as an abstraction or I mean, something, right? Or like some like cultural no, 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 abstract. No, 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 icon. no,
1: no, <laughs> nothing abstract about it at all. There are many different dragons in Eastern mythology. Uh, The Imperial Dragon uh, is the highest ranking. I mean, their worship is God, some of them. Oh, wow. It's, yeah. Hold on, Imperial Dragon. Uh, Let me see. No, it's also a Chinese takeaway restaurant, but uh, yeah, revered above all other creatures in East Asian tradition, the dragon is also a symbol of imperial rule. The Chinese emperor was known as the dragon. Uh, his, uh, hands were the dragon's claws and his seat was the dragon throne. Still is. United with heaven and earth, a wise emperor ruled in harmony with the cosmos and brought peace and prosperity to all. As the, the pearl with the uh, imperial robes and other East Asian works of art often show the dragon with a pearl surrounded by branching flames. Some scholars view this as a symbol of rolling thunder a belch through the dragon's mouth as it reaches the sky. Others regard it as a luminous pearl of potentiality, a philosophical sign linked with Taoist ideas of the ever changing and indefinite. Um, I mean,
0: well, well, there's
1: just not a lot you can do with that.
0: I mean, can't you reduce it? I mean, I feel like modernism and liberalism have reduced, uh, you know, Christian worship icons into, you know, meaningless things. I mean, why can't we you do see, it the other way? Or some, why can't we just do it? Too, this?
1: There's just too much to it. You know. The dragon the lung it's hmm. it was on the flag of the Qing dynasty it it it
0: how, how did that happen
1: do you think uh, well, as I say, it could be that uh, they are uh, dragon worship there we go yeah well, the gods of the Gentiles are demons, so draw your own conclusion. Chinese dragons are strongly associated with water and weather in popular religion. They are believed to be the rulers of moving bodies of water, such as the waterfalls, rivers, or seas. The dragon god is the dispenser of rain, as well as a zoomorphic representation of the yang, masculine power of generation. In this capacity, as the rulers of water and weather, the dragon is more anthropomorphic in form, often depicted as a humanoid, dressed in a king's costume with a dragon head wearing a king's headdress. There are four major dragon kings representing east of the Four Seas, the East China Sea, the South China Sea, the Qinghai Lake and beyond, and Lake Baikal. The yellow dragon was the symbol of imperial authority. Today, the worship of the dragon god is celebrated throughout China with sacrifices and processions during the fifth and sixth moons, and especially on the date of his birthday, the 13th day of the sixth moon. A folk religious movement of associations of good doing and modern Hebei is primarily devoted to a generic dragon god whose icon is a taboo with his name inscribed. I mean, I just don't see how it could be done.
0: All right. Fair enough. All righty. Moving on to an excellent question from Helvisio. Really well-worded, too, might I add. Um, so, Helvisio says, who are your favorite five villains in history and why? Let's define villain as someone who may have had admirable qualities, but fought against the good guys. For example, the Hussite General Jan uh, Zizka or King George III. Or a truly immoral person who is nevertheless interesting to read about. For example, Caligula or Genghis Khan.
1: Well, I wouldn't consider George the 3rd a villain. So, I fine. Oh, George I Washington. I left I I
0: I left something out. He said, "Yes, I did mention King George the 3rd to see if I can rile up Charles. Let's see if it works."
1: Yep. I didn't, but I'll say George <laughs> Washington. <laughs> <Okay>. Napoleon Bonaparte. Um <laughs> uh, Juan Perón. Uh, Cecil Rhodes, and um,
0: who was who the king that like like ended the the Great Schism? Didn't he? Wasn't he like really rough? And then he, he was. I'm he, prestigious, man. Yeah, wasn't that? Wasn't he a wild guy? And before that.
1: Wild enough, but I wouldn't consider him a villain. Okay. Um, oh, and uh, Frederick II. What he? What did he do? He was the stupor mundi, the, stupor, the wonder of the world. Uh, he was a Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, he got into a big fight with several popes, was excommunicated, went on crusade anyway, uh, managed to regain Jerusalem for a short period for the Muslims uh wild guy.
0: I think after hearing this list, Idi Amin is turning over in his grave.
1: Well, I have nothing good to say about <laughs> Idi Amin All the people I mentioned, it... I can say good things about. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you want me to talk about utter horrors, you always have quote him to say about.
0: Them. You always quote. Well, yeah, him. I do.
1: I, I always quote Idi Amin because uh, you know, as I like to say. In the, the Blessed West, we like to pretend that we have what we call representative democracy. In the Soviet bloc, they had um, people's democracy. And EDMN defined cannibalism as nutritional democracy. Yeah. How can you not quote that? But if you want five people who are utter scum villains, I would say Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin, and Karl Renner.
0: Okay. There you go. Okay.
1: Because he, for villains, he wanted people that had admirable qualities. Not utter scum. Utter scum was not what he asked for.
0: Let's, you know, this is such a fun question. Let's do the BC version of this. Let's do this, but then for BC people.
1: Before Christ. (sighs) Okay. Um, Hannibal. Hmm. Sulla. Who's that? Sulla, Roman dictator.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Uh, Oh, gosh. So
0: so you're going to say that over Julius Caesar?
1: Oh, well, I don't consider Caesar to have been a villain. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Brutus. Okay. And Brutus is an admirable man. We have Shakespeare's word on that. So Brutus, Sulla, Hannibal, uh, Xerxes. Right. And... Lastly, but definitely not leastly. What
0: about some Egyptian ones? Some pharaohs?
1: That's that's just what I'm going to. <laughs> you, you read my mind. I was thinking of Egypt. Uh... Well, we don't know his name, but the one from the Old Testament, of course.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's go a- down
1: Moses way down in Egypt land.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a very that's a very good one.
1: To oh, and I and if you would ask me strictly American.
0: Yeah, let's do that.
1: All right, I keep Washington, uh, FDR, JFK.
0: Um, Uh, Woodrow Wilson, are you kidding me? Come on.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. But Wilson didn't have any any good traits.
0: Oh, I can't think of
1: anything I liked about Wilson. Okay. Um, I mean, oh, there were okay. I
0: I, you're going with with things that that have some admirable people who have some admirable. Okay, I That's was... What
1: was what the question was about. So I'd say Washington, uh, FDR, Kennedy, Lincoln, and let's see who else. Jefferson. Okay.
0: That makes sense. Jefferson uh, over over Andrew Jackson?
1: Oh, that is tough.
0: <laughs> you know
1: what? Jackson just unseated him. Cuz why? Jackson just unseated Jefferson. <laughs> There we go.
0: Okay, I I always liked Andrew Jackson. I don't know he's
1: America's Bonaparte. Yeah, I I do. All
0: right. Um, what about um, what about the guy who has that fifty foot statue?
1: Oh, Ulysses Long. Well, now we get if we get away from presidents. All right. We're cutting presidents out of the deal. So I'd say Huey Long will no, definitely I, be up. I wasn't
0: talking about uh, Huey Long at all. I was talking about Warren We're, G. Harding.
1: Oh, <laughs> we, that, talking, I'm no.
0: referencing an old episode
1: where the Warren, Warren, Warren G. Harding,
0: Harding mon, monument.
1: Yeah, the one I was asked directions to, and somehow <laughs> no one was able to give the <laughs> No, You know, the Warren Harding mem- memorial... The 50 feet tall statue of of Harding in D.C. (laughs) I recommend highly, ladies and gentlemen, if you visit our nation's capital, ask to be directed to the Harding Monument. And when they say what, be sure to tell them it's a 50 foot tall statue of Warren G. Harding. It's on the mall somewhere. Be sure to say that. See what kind of a response you get. But I I, I would think, though, uh, if I were to go that route, all right, I would say Huey Long, Frank Haig of Jersey City, um, Jimmy Walker of New York, the uh, first Mayor Daley of Chicago, and um, Rizzo Sr. of Philadelphia.
0: All right. Uh, Andrew from New Jersey. Hello. Uh, He has a question. uh, And he says, uh, hello, gentlemen. Welcome from the home of the nation's first Indian reservation, the Brotherton Reservation, near present day Indian Mills in Burlington County, the great state of New Jersey.
1: I wouldn't boast about you, Andrew. You know where the Brotherton's went when they got chased out of Jersey? They went where they are now in Wisconsin. Oh. My name is Jan Janssen. I live in Wisconsin. I work in a lumber mill there. Out in the street, the people I meet, they ask me my name and I declare. My name is Jan Janssen. I live in Wisconsin. I work in a lumber mill there. And out in the street, the people I meet. It just goes on and on and on. Yeah. Endlessly repeating. Did you want to hear it again?
0: No. All right. He says, a while back, I asked a question about the wearing of shorts, to which Charles answered that men should not wear them, and also that he never saw his father wearing shorts. Ooh. Let me now ask our fashion guru. What of blue jeans, or more generally, denim of any kind? Is it ever permissible to wear jeans outside of the cattle ranch? They make dressier varieties. And in some <laughs> modern men's fashion circles, they are paired with a waistcoat or blazer. Sometimes I'll even see older gentlemen wearing these dress jeans at mass. Uh, what say you, Charles? Can men wear jeans? If not at church, perhaps the pub? Or are they too informal for anything other than manual labor? Did Charles see ever, ever see his father wearing jeans?
1: No, I didn't. Uh, except when he was doing work around the house, uh, you know, on the roof or any kind of labor of that sort, then he would wear jeans, but he never wore them otherwise. And that's what they're designed for. Blue jeans were designed for labor. So that's what they're intended for. Now, the fact that you'll see older men wearing them doesn't signify because those older men are my generation and our taste is garbage. So, speaking generationally, so I would tell you, don't wear blue jeans unless you're working. Because they're, they're working man's gear. the den- Denim is meant to be a durable cloth for hard work. You're working in the garden. You're working on the roof. You're working in the garage. You're cleaning the car. You're practicing ballet. All that.
0: You know, I, I really relate to Andrew's question. Um, <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? It's like... Um... I mean, it's not on this level, but it, it reminds me of uh, like when people are going on a diet and like they sort of know what's right. But then you have these sort of questions there that kind of where you want to hold yourself to a certain standard, but you're also trying to like weasel, weasel out. out. It's like, okay, you know... Um, can you have wine? You know it, can you can you have you know chocolate? Know it, uh, if oh, well, yeah. it's okay. It's good for the heart. <laughs> see, see what
1: it is. What it is? You 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 you're using adulting as cope.
0: <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh man, um, adulting as cope.
1: That's right. Adulting as cope. All right. I mean, it's it, it's just cringe. adulting as cope is cringe. (laughs) And that's red-pilled. It's based to say that. It's based and red-pilled to say that adulting as cope is cringe. All right. Uh, Let me repeat for the sake Uh, of our studio audience. One more time. It is based and red-pilled to say that adulting as Cope is cringe. Okay. You feel better now? No. Basted red See, pill. Oh, stop say, saying
0: it. Stop saying that. Okay. What is wrong with saying it? It doesn't matter. Just respect my wishes.
1: All right. <laughs> oh, oh. The veneer of democracy is shredded by the imperial dragon. This was never
0: a democracy.
1: This isn't uh, Tet. Is in... The imperial dragon has no business shredding reality. This
0: isn't democracy, and I'm not asking. All right. <laughs> that was cringe. Wow. All right. Um, so anyhow, Andrew, just don't do the jeans anymore. Just like a
1: grown-up, Andrew. Don't worry about it.
0: But I feel you. I definitely feel you.
1: All right. That's weird.
0: Yeah. All right. Since uh, I feel me. You feel you.
1: I feel as me. Yeah.
0: All right. Pause for channel identification. Uh, Off the menu is now being broadcast and podcast on the Crusade Channel. Talk radio the way it should be at crusadechannel.com. Since uh, even uh, he has another question, since even before the start of his reign, King Charles III has been getting props for traditionalists for his rightward leaning traditional views on matters ranging from church and state to architecture and urbanism. Yet, in the most historically accurate television show of all time, The Crown, ha, ha, ha. Prince Charles is shown ha. as a Cringe. progressive. Desiring reforms to the monarchy to make it more, quote-unquote, inclusive, modern, and relevant. Is there any truth to this? Furthermore, what does Charles make of reports that his coronation will be scaled down, with the king not wearing the traditional regalia, the possible removal of koh diamond from the crown used to crown Queen Camilla, and featuring so-called LGBTQ and refugee choirs during uh, doing performances. If trad, then why gay chorus?
1: Well, you'd <laughs> have to ask the Holy Father about that. Not that he claims to be a trad. Uh, no, the thing, the thing is, firstly, remember that the coronation is going to be very, very dependent upon the will of the government. Now, the LGBT and refugee choirs won't be at the coronation. They will be doing performances at associated concerts, not the coronation itself. Um, And that the sort of extra entertainment things are all in the hands of the government. And all governments in the West today are gay. If you don't believe me, remember our surgeon general, who's trans, with her date, who was a tranny, at the French uh, at the French Farm Ministry last year for Bastille Day. The one that uh, the date was the one that later got popped for stealing women's uh, luggage in airports as a sort of weird fetish. There was a picture of the happy couple, and it was really bizarre. And, of course, don't forget that all of our embassies overseas have the rainbow flag. So I cringe every time I pass by our embassy here in Vienna. It uh, see that thing waving, and I'm like, that's what my country is now, the the gay United States of America. Okay? That's what we are. Well, the same is true in Britain and France and all the other countries in different ways. Now, the truth is about the king that I suspect he is both. He looks back to tradition and he wants to bring it forward to the present. One thing that's interesting about the coronation is that, and I've only found this out today, by the way, uh, the coronation as a ceremony uh, has several major parts, the anointing with oil, the placing of the crown on his head and the scepter in his hand and all that, and the reception of communion, and then the acclamation of the lords and commons. Those are the basic elements of the thing. And, of course, he's taking the oaths. Now, what is interesting is this. The um, coronation, which is taken from Catholic rites, actually, the whole, one of the interesting things about looking at the coronation this time is that it is an Anglicanized version of a Catholic rite, and this particular rite, with the exception of the oaths, was actually approved for use by uh, for James II in 1685 by the Pope of the time, who gave his permission for James to go through it. And it is an English translation of a medieval Catholic Latin rite. But the uh, looking at it will give you some vague idea of what Catholic nations were like uh, before we got rid of them one by one. The last, of course, was uh, that of Kaiser Karl in Hungary in 1916. Uh, that was the last Catholic coronation, other than the popes. The last of those was Paul VI in 1963, and as we do, as we know, neither John Paul nor Benedict nor uh, Francis uh, had a coronation. They had inaugurations or whatever. So you'll get an idea of the way things were done by Catholics in Catholic times. But the most important matter of the rite is the chrism. In medieval times, most kings were crowned with the oil of catechumens. But through very special privilege, the kings of France, England, Scotland, Naples, and Jerusalem we're crowned with chrism we're anointed with chrism at their coronations here's the thing i found out today that the chrism being prepared for king charles's coronation is being prepared has been prepared in palestine and israel and was blessed by the anglican bishop of uh, jerusalem very exciting but also by the greek orthodox patriarch of jerusalem who is of course a prelate invalid Holy Orders, which means that this will be the first time since 1685 that a British king has been anointed to this coronation with valid chrism.
0: Mm. Now, that's really kind of amazing. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Now, whether, of course, it has any real effect on him will depend entirely on his... Dispositions, which is something we outsiders can't read, kind of like when you and I got confirmed, or anybody else gets confirmed. It's we can't really know if it's gonna take. Because even though the chrism brings certain virtues, the individual has to collaborate with those virtues. It, it, it's just not it's not, you know, presto chango. Yeah. But it gives something one can hope for and pray for, that this Chrism affects the king and helps him uh, govern in the way that God would like him to. Since we're
0: talking about coronations and since we're talking about Chrism, I feel an obligation to ask uh, that you tell everyone the story of King Clovis and his coronation.
1: Ah. Well, indeed, indeed. Um uh, The uh, Clovis was, uh, in 488, was uh, baptized by Saint-Rémy at Reims. He was baptized in the river with all of his noblemen. And then uh, Saint-Rémy offered to to crown and anoint him. But he had no oil. So the Holy Ghost descended with the Holy Ampoula, and Saint-Rémy was able to use it to crown Clovis as King of the Franks. Uh, that accomplished. He used the, That chrism was used in the coronation of every king of France from then until Louis XVI in 1774. During the French Revolution, a mob broke into the cathedral at Reims and, and smashed the ampulla and then went off to wreak mayhem elsewhere. But a priest of the cathedral saw the whole thing and quick as a wink, gathered up as much as he could of the contents of the ampulla, the chrism, which was solid. And he hit it. Well, some years later, 1825 comes along, the new king, youngest brother of Louis XVI, Charles X, is to be crowned. What are we going to do? The priest emerged, and he said, I got just what you need right here. And you can see the, uh, and so Charles X was doing. Louis crowned in 1825, the last French king so far to be crowned at Reims. But the Holy Ampoula, or at least the new version of it, is still there with the chrism, awaiting the next king's coronation. And the sooner the better, says I.
0: Wow. I didn't know the, the chrism was still there. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it is. I've seen it with both these eyes. And I, I've seen a, uh, quite a picture of uh, the Duc d'Anjou, the legitimate heir to the throne, holding it. That must have been... I mean, I can't even imagine what was going through his mind. <laughs> well, can you imagine? You're the descendant, literally, of generations of men who, are ba- who were crowned with this thing, with this oil, and you're I, holding it.
0: I know. I know. It, it, that's why it's so... It, as you say, you can only you can't even imagine what he's going through his mind.
1: No, no way at all. You know that he must have been based and red pilled. Uh, it's highly unlikely, though, that he was adulting his cope because that would have been cringe.
0: Uh, okay. You okay? Yeah, I just. Do you feel cringe? Had some. Yeah. Okay. Um. No. But are you virtuing? Do... Okay. Um,
1: I'm parasiting right now.
0: That's for sure. All right. Um, <laughs> final question is from Cal. Uh, and so uh, Cal says, um, All hail Vincenzo the Vivacious and Sir Charles the Chivalrous. Having done some research on the First World War and its aftermath, it has become apparent that this, true, uh, that this conflict truly broke the spirit of Europe as the world knew it. As Charles Shirley knows, nowhere was this more apparent than in the states that succeeded the collapse of Austria-Hungary. Mm-hmm. It seems that World War I initiated a nihilistic spiral for Europe from which it has never really emerged especially given that other continental conflicts like the Napoleonic Wars preceded this war by a century or so, what was it about World War I and perhaps World War Two, as well that seems to have sapped Europe of its former essence? Furthermore, is the aftermath of the world wars somehow connected to the decline of the Christian faith within Europe? Wow.
1: Well, one word which is you bet. Absolutely. The the two world wars horrible as the French Revolution and the Napoleonic wars were. At the very least they didn't have the technology that the two world wars did. And they didn't they killed a lot of people but not the same proportion of people, the same number of people, and also, remember, especially in the first war, it was the brightest and best from all over Europe that got it. It was the brave-hearted and true who were first in the field and fell. Uh, A great many of what were left were not the pick of the litter, shall we say. And Because so many wonderful things were used to justify the conflict, a lot of those things were discredited in the minds of many by what they had been through. Uh, Are we fighting for patriotism and for a country, God, country, and empire? Well, then those things must not be very good considering the amount of misery they've caused. Now, obviously, if you were to be honest and you would say, well, actually, it was all done in the name of freedom, then you would say that freedom is the problem. But we're never honest. So, you know, we we can't be because that would be adult. And as you know, adulting is cope, which is cringe. Yeah. Well, I think it's based in red pill to say that. Yeah. But, at any rate, the, uh, the thing is that uh, in many, many ways, the heart and soul went out of Europe with those two wars. And it's not yet returned. There are a lot of reasons why it was that way, because we already had problems in the church. We already had the social issues that many of the people who wanted to get into World War I thought the war would solve in terms of pulling people together and had just the opposite effect made them worse. Uh, the great issue of the 19th century, which carried into the 20th was how to really integrate the industrial proletariat into society as opposed to turning socialist and hateful. Well, that was never really solved. All that happened was that they went off to die alongside everybody else in the great wars. Um, No, it, it, it we have yet to recover from it. You know, it's funny. In 1914, um, one night in Whitehall, uh, Lord Edward Gray, the foreign minister, saw the street lamps being put out. And he's made a very, very famous statement, which has been quoted endlessly since then. He said, the lights are going out all over Europe. They shall not be relit again in our time. And they haven't been. Not then, not now. And the war in Ukraine, the LGBTQ MLXL5 from San Francisco to Berlin, the secularization, the stupefaction, the crap, oozing out of every pore of everyone in charge. It all stems from those wars. And how do you undo it? Well, the only way you can undo it, the only way the damage that has been done to European, to Western Christian civilization, the only way it can be undone is that the soul of Europe, the faith that built it, is regained. And until that happens, and unless that happens, Everything else is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, to use another quote. Um, I can't possibly get more based or red-pilled than that. If you really... I mean, the sickness of Europe also is a sickness that affects the daughter countries. It affects the United States and Canada and Australia and New Zealand and Argentina and Mexico and Brazil and Colombia and Cuba and the Dominican Republic and Haiti and Chile and Paraguay and Uruguay and South Africa and India and Thailand and everywhere. That hideous strength, that negation of all that is true and good. And beautiful. Even, you know, Islam that we talk about today, is an Islam that Islam has been transformed into a nasty Western ideology by Westernized Muslims. China is dominated by a Western post-Christian ideology. India is basically ruled by British socialism. I mean. The the non-Christian world has basically adopted post-Christianity without ever having a period of Christianity. But they're all Western now, in the worst sense of those words. Gandhi made the crack that Britain had given India everything except Christ. Not entirely true, but not entirely false by a long shot. And what the world needs now is not peace or love in the abstract. What the world needs now is Jesus Christ and his church and his sacraments and his kingship and his mother's queenship and the fellowship of his saints and his angels. That's what the world needs. And everything else, all of our human institutions, Ecclesiastical and secular or ecclesiastical and temporal will be revitalized and be reborn if as and when enough of us have accepted that until then until then you can vote you can vote for Biden or Trump hmm. And in the immortal words of Kamala Harris, we have to do what we were doing and the time for us to do it is now. And now is the time for us to do what we've been doing. Well said. Well, it just shows that adulting really is cope. Unless it's cringe. Cringe.
0: Sometimes you the find difference... that cringe? I mean, sometimes the difference between cringe and cool is very slight.
1: Did you just say cringe and cruel or cringe and cool? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the difference between cool and cruel is very slight. What letter? Oh, that's for sure. Um... Well, I will just say, and I think it's worth saying, that we should remember the heroes of the British Isles.
0: Yeah? Okay.
1: Oh, you want me to name some?
0: I don't know. I'm just kind of wondering why you have a goofy smile on your face as you say that.
1: I'm no, Well, because I'm getting ready for the trip and I'm thinking of, <laughs> of these things. Uh, but no, okay. King Arthur. Robin Hood.
0: King Arthur, fact or fiction? Fact. Robin Hood. Fact or fiction?
1: Fact. King Richard the Lionheart. I'm pretty sure he was fact. Yeah, I'm all for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, Queen Mary Tudor. Mm. Uh, King Henry the Sixth. Servant of God, yeah. Um, I can do this. I don't, I don't need too much help. Uh, Charles the First, James the Servant of God, George the Third, um, Owen Glendower, Sir William Wallace, Robert the Bruce, Mary Queen of Scots, Sir Walter Scott. Robert Burns. Lord Tennyson. Wordsworth. Um, Kipling. Samuel Johnson. You Roger, or, uh, Thomas Moore. Uh, 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 I can do this. Patrick Pierce. Bonnie Prince Charlie? Oh, gosh, yes. I... Bonnie I... Prince Charlie. <laughs> okay. I don't know where my mind is. I'm trying to <laughs> give everybody. Bonnie Prince Charlie... Uh Patrick Sarsfield. Uh the Earls of Ty- of uh Tyrone and Tyrconnell, the, the the uh Lord Durant Water, um uh, Nile of the Nine Hostages, uh, uh, uh Saint Patrick, St. David, Saint uh St. Edward the Confessor, uh, uh uh all all of these guys. From, from Bantry Bay to East Anglia, and from the Shetlands to Jersey and Guernsey. The whole kit and caboodle. Yes, that's right. Go. And France, and Belgium, and Spain, and Portugal, and the Netherlands, and Luxembourg, and Germany, and Austria-Hungary, and everywhere in Europe. The whole mother continent. And and Europe beyond the seas. America and Australia and Canada and South Africa and all those places. I love them all. And Goa and Shanghai and Tokyo. Rio de Janeiro, Buenos Aires. I love the world. It's a great planet. I'm glad we're here. And you know why? why? You know why? I'll tell you why. It's because the world is based at red-pilled.
0: Wow, man, that's deep. And using
1: <laughs> using adulting as cope is cringe. <sighs> you didn't think you were gonna get away for, away without hearing that are, at least one more time. Are you saying you?
0: adulting as like as as adulting yes. as cope is cringe? Yes. Okay, okay. I'm gonna spread that message. To the world.
1: Adulting as cope is cringe. And that statement is in itself red-pilled and based. All right. <laughs> See, I'm going to choose all five phrases. It is red-pilled <sighs> and based to say that adulting as cope is cringe. You don't okay. like that statement. What don't you like about it? I feel
0: like it's like it's just like it's verbal it's verbal diarrhea. I mean, honestly <laughs> it's just it's just what are you <laughs> <you're saying>? just <laughs> I think you know what I'm saying. I think you know what you're doing and I think you're sadistic And you're trying to get me, and it's working. Uh, Mission accomplished. So we we can finish this episode. I'm Uh, trying
1: to help you. And our audience. Because see, all right, look, look. What does it mean when something is based in Red Pilled?
0: I I don't even know anymore. I don't know. You tell me, Charles.
1: I'll tell you. What it means when something is based in Red Pilled is that it's real. It's true. As opposed to fake news, false information, stupidity, okay. drivel, etc. So it's the real thing. So if we say that something is based in red pill, it means it's true. Yes. All right. So it's based in red pill to say that adulting, behaving like an adult, pretending you know what you're doing, as cope, using it to fend off the horrors and terrors of life is cringe, meaning it's it's awful to do that. You should be an adult as opposed to merely adulting, let alone adulting as cope.
0: Well, I mean, it looks like you won the bet with whoever you bet. <laughs> On whether or not what you could man? put all these words in one sentence, so pay up, loser! You owe Charles twenty dollars. <laughs> well, I mean, true. How did th- you know it was that's what bucks? this feels like. That's what this how did feels you know like. Was twenty on...
1: bucks, so it was twenty euros, but how did
0: you know that? <laughs> I just, I mean, this this is like that guy who did the song where it's like, I oh, I bet you can't do a song based on the next thing you hear, and then he yeah. he ends up doing it, and then that's like this. That's the, the song. And, so it's like, yeah. and then that's what you're doing now. I feel that shows a deep contempt for your audience and a lack of respect.
1: Okay. Firstly, I respect my audience a great deal because they give me a point in my life uh, and make an otherwise empty existence somewhat meaningful.
0: But... Yeah, filled with money.
1: Well, that, that, <laughs> that does it. Yeah, that, that's helpful. But no, seriously, uh, I will admit that there was something of a wager that I couldn't use these five words in a sentence. And it was pointed out to me that these five words are very popular amongst young people. And so I had to come up with a sentence that young people would understand and that would have a meaning. And I think I've done that. It is based in red pilled to say that adulting as cope is cringe. <sighs>
0: Stop saying that.
1: <laughs> why, what is your problem with it? It's
0: just you're. It, it it it's just like you're hitting me over the head with a hammer every time you say that. It's just like a no. nub. I don't,
1: I don't I, understand why you're so <laughs> upset with it. It's a straightforward concept. You want me to say it in English?
0: No, I don't want you to say it. I'll be I'll be dreaming of it tonight. Um, no, no,
1: I'm not going to repeat what I, I'm not going to repeat this version. I'm going to say what it means in regular English.
0: No, I know we've already gone over it. Okay, it's super deep. We're going to be meditating it on on it all day. <laughs> um, but I do just have one question. What is it if it's Monday?
1: Hold on, hold on. I I'm not using this as cope. I can say this. I I I I can say it. I'm gonna I'm gonna adult this. It's Monday, so it must be off the menu.
0: And what about the soul you save?
1: (laughs) I'm going to be based in red pills with this. The soul you save, this isn't cringe. Maybe your own.
0: (sighs) We'll see you next week, everyone.
1: You bet, ladies and gentlemen. And remember, those of you fortunate enough to live in the Three Kingdoms, prepare. We're coming your way. I'm looking at you, my Lord of Norfolk. Better get Arundel Castle ready for the broadcast.